Hello everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the You Don't Look Like an Engineer podcast. We are so excited about today's guest because of her feet in so many different, well, let's call it lives that she's lived. She yeah. has done so much uh, prior to and during her engineering um, career that I don't think we've had anyone like this before. No, I don't think so. She actually wears a few different hats and I think she's an inspiration for people within the industry that um, also practicing a sport and mm-hmm. trying to balance it all out. Yeah, and just people trying to have different um, hobbies that they'd really like to be quite invested in beyond, you know, a hobby scale. Yeah. Um, obviously, being a little bit cryptic, but if we get into it, it will make more sense. Yes, we don't want to like tell you everything, but basically today we have Margaret Gayen. Yeah, she is a chartered senior mechanical project engineer, and she is also experienced in gender equality advocacy, elite athletics and public speaking. Yeah, I'd say the gender equality advocacy and public speaking went hand in hand, which she'll explain how they got into it, her and her friend. But I suppose the unexpected thing is the elite athletics. Like she has been to represent Australia at Glasgow Commonwealth Games. That for, yeah, again, athletics. Um, Absolute gun. Amazing. We're so honoured to have someone like her be on the podcast. She's also awarded the 2022 Young Professional Engineer of the Year for South Australia. Which is amazing. And she's done a lot of work with her friend, Karina Nixon, is it? I think so, yeah. For advocacy for women in this um, industry. And honestly, yeah, we'll link the report that they worked on together. Exactly. Because we don't want to give it away too much. But basically, she just wants to create cultural change in the industry. Yeah, so without further ado, Margaret, could you please tell us a little bit about where you're from, um, what you do and how you got into engineering? Yeah, let's go back to um, probably where where you were born um, and anything interesting that you would like to share about your childhood. All right. Yeah, good morning. Thank you both. Um, Yeah, so I'm Margaret. I was, I'm from Australia. I was born in Melbourne. Um, I, we moved to Adelaide when I was about two years old and I've got two younger siblings um, who neither of them are engineers, but both my parents are engineers. And so, yeah, I went to school locally in Adelaide, um, went on to study mechanical and sports engineering at school, I loved maths and science, um, and so my parents, both being engineers themselves, were uh, heavily supportive of me studying engineering to the point that I was like, no, I don't want to, <laughs> uh-huh. um, just because they're telling me to. <laughs> um, and eventually I did come around, but I chose not to become a chemical engineer, which is what both of them are, because um, I, yeah wanted to do something different um, and ended up studying mechanical and sports engineering at the University of Adelaide. Um, I did a lot of athletics and was really interested in the sports side of things as well. Um, And so that engineering degree uh, is a mechanical engineering degree, but my electives were things like anatomy, physiology, biomedical engineering. Um, So you're really learning about how to design products and clothing and just technology that supports the human body. Um, So that could be uh, sports equipment, but it could also be um, prosthetics or it could be um, like car seats or just office spaces, um, things that are designed for human use. Mm. Um, Yeah, so it was a really interesting degree, um, but when I graduated, there were not a lot of engineering jobs going around. Um, uh, there were, yeah, the sports engineering space in Australia is not huge. And just generally in engineering, like there was a huge turn down in 2015 when I graduated with oil and gas and a few other industries. So there were not a lot of engineering jobs going around, but I managed to get a job as a design drafter at uh, a company called Elex Medical, which uh, designs and manufactures lasers for treating eye diseases. Um, so I got to use this, uh, some aspect of my um, sports engineering degree in that sort of medical side of things. Um, but 
yeah, very, very specific in terms of designing for um, really, really tight tolerances. So when you're talking lasers, laser treatment for eye surgery, you want to get things right to the nearest micron, basically. Um, so we were doing a lot of really fine design where millimetres mattered a lot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was really cool. I got to see projects going from let's just throw out an idea, we want to make a device that does this and this, how do we do it, um, big concept sort of thing, and then slowly getting more into detailed design and then we'd prototype, test it out, and then get it on the production floor. Um, so the team were could make lots of them and we could sell them and send them around the world. And mm. I did that for about three years and um, there just there was a lot of change in the organisation and I decided that I wanted to try something different, um, learn about some other aspects of engineering. So I ended up at GPA Engineering, which is where I am now, um, and they're a consulting company based in Adelaide um, but with offices around Australia um, mainly focused in the energy industry but uh, as a consulting company we do a lot of different things. Um, my focus personally for the last year or two has been around using hydrogen in um, the natural gas distribution network or transmission pipelines or even more recently in heavy vehicle transport um, as an alternative to fossil fuels. Oh. So that's where I am now. <laughs> <laughs> that was an excellent um, summary. Thank you so much. Wow, you really took us from the whole journey. Nice Storyline. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. So you mentioned, just very curious, that you wanted to do the sports and mechanical side of things because you wanted to do something different to like your parents. Yeah. Is that a streak that sort of like you recognize as a part of your personality, always wanting to do something different? Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, even just choosing to do engineering, there was a part of it that was, you know, there weren't really any other people at my school that I knew of studying mm -hmm. engineering or that at least not people that I knew well. Um and, yeah, whenever you mentioned it to someone as a high school student, it was like, oh, there's lots of boys doing that. And I was like, well, I'm going to as well. I guess what I was curious Edited. about is, is that how you sort of um, ended up, you know, doing the athletics with the engineering side of things? Mm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I've done athletics all my life. Um, well, I started when I was about eight. Um <laughs> And I only stopped doing it at the start of this year. So it feels like all my life. Um, and, yeah, when I was at school, I represented the state. Um, and then in year 12, I got selected for an Australian team for the Commonwealth Youth Games. So I was training pretty regularly by then. Um, and, yeah, having that bit of success made me really interested in the sports side of stuff. But. I also wanted to uh, keep up the academia side of things because I'd always been quite good at school in that sense and I found that really interesting. So I tried to combine the two by going to uni and studying sports engineering. Um, and uni was really good with that, um, I guess, flexible lifestyle um, and being able to plot your timetable and work out when your freeze are and that kind of thing. So I was able to fit training around it uh, and ended up representing Australia a few more times uh, through 2012, 13 and 2014 um, with my biggest success being the Commonwealth Games at, in Glasgow in 2014. So, um, yeah, it, it was a good time and I could – it was really – lucky I guess yeah just an amazing part of my life that I could combine two of my interests so well for that period. So um how did you get into these sports sort of like because I don't know like how did the athlete aspect of Margaret's life started? Um, <laughs> we now know how the engineering 
sort of like interest came from. But what about the sports? Is do we have any sport um, members in, in in your family or any athletes in your family? Uh, my mom did athletics through school and uni, and yeah, when we were little, she uh, found an ad for Little Athletics in the paper and remembered how much she'd enjoyed athletics and decided to put me and my siblings into doing little athletics at the local club and yeah I just enjoyed it so I did it um every summer we'd go down to the local oval try out the different events um I wasn't particularly good from the start I just had fun (laughs) yeah um yeah and the thing was that doing athletics training really taught you how to run, how to move, you learnt coordination. So um, it, it helped with playing other sports as well. Um, I saw a lot of value in it and I had good friends there. So that's where it started and it just kept going. <laughs> wow. So I can't believe that you said that you were in good at the beginning because <laughs> you ended up going to to the Commonwealth Games. So, Wow. <laughs> That is um, that is a really interesting, um, um, I guess, outcome of that. Um, do you think a lot of it was to do with how much you enjoyed it and like the dedication that you put on it? Yeah, definitely. Um, like my mom had liked athletics herself, and she uh, got into coaching it. So you know, my family was there supporting me, which helped. Um, but it definitely came down to my own choices. So there's a story from when I was about 10 and I decided I really wanted to go to the state cross-country championships. Um, And to do that, I think you have to run, you have to like win your school or something like that. And so mum would come to school, pick like, not pick me up she'd pick up my bag and then she'd drive we'd go down side streets and she'd drive next to me in the side street while I ran <laughs> like that's so cool train <laughs> yeah right <laughs> oh man that's like, pretty cool oh she's still a bit like she'd, she'd sort of call out the window like relax your arms or like don't drag your feet so much <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but like, you know, if I told that story in another light, it could sound like my mum was really sort of draconian, like, you have to train, but that was my choice. She'd come and pick me up and I'd run home. (laughs) That is actually a good way, though, because it's like you have to learn. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. And, and just doing that extra bit of training helped. So I did do well at the cross country. Um and I think I did end up going to the state championships. And it wasn't like I immediately won the state championships and won everything. Like I improved a little bit that year and um, the following year I did a bit better. Yeah, it's very much been a slow progression but consistent hard work and doing it because you enjoy it does count for something. And how did you sort of like approach the balance between starting full-time and doing sports and then I guess um eventually going into the workforce like what you what was sort of like the hardest things to balance out apart from your sleep (laughs) yeah sleep (laughs) sleep's the first thing to go isn't it and it really shouldn't be um yeah at uni it it really worked for me because um I could use both of them as a break from the other like Mm. um you know you when you're studying so much of your time gets taken up with Mm. you're at lectures and then you go home and do homework but for me athletics training was that break it was okay I've studied now I need to get out have some fresh air Mm. that sort of social interaction break it up get a mental refresh um and that really worked and because you could sort of move your timetable around I could fit training in around the lectures and um yeah I don't I think that worked quite well for me but when I started full-time work I did struggle with fitting both in you know going to work in the morning uh, at 8 a.m and then finishing at 4 30 driving for half an hour to an hour to get to training 
and then being at training for two hours, you don't get home until late, I don't know, 8.30 or something, and then you have dinner and then you go to bed and you do it all the next day. And mm. it, yeah, it it really was hard and I did struggle, um, especially with the transition when I first started doing full-time work. Um, and I, I got to say, I, I never really worked out the golden solution. <laughs> I had a couple of years where um, I, I did compete better than others. Um, and often when I didn't compete well, it was because of injury, but then that injury could link back to being fatigued. And that could be because I did too much with work and um, training and then also trying to have a social life. So um, yeah, it wasn't easy. Uh, but those times when it did go well was because I had worked out how to use one of them as the, I guess, mental refresh from the other when I had enough sleep. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, it's interesting that you talk about social life. Do you, do you think was that something that you sort of had to put on hold whilst you were achieving your um, academic and your sports dreams? It didn't feel like it oh yeah good question um (laughs) at times at times it really did feel like it and at other times I was like no I can do all three like it's fine Mm. um but there there are definitely times when it's like oh I'd really like to go to this particular event with my friend but I'm going Mm. to this competition instead or you know I've got training at that time I can't Mm. um and I think I really didn't realize that until this year actually because I stopped doing athletics training earlier this year and I realized how much extra time I had I'm curious Mm. almost too much freedom because I was just saying yes to everything and then I'm like oh okay (laughs) wind it back a bit (laughs) it's all experimental but I'm curious does um, throughout all of this, would you say does Margaret put a lot of pressure on herself to to be the best, like in both fields, while you were competing, while you were working? Like, did you yes. still want to be okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, especially around twenty eighteen nineteen, I, I mentioned I I changed jobs from the medical device company to uh, my current job in energy in the en- energy industry. Um, around that time, I was, I was really struggling with this issue in particular around balancing both and wanting to do better at athletics because I'd had such success while I was at uni. Um, excuse me. I, every year after that, I was comparing my results to who I had been and it's, it's actually really tough. Like up until that point, I'd been slowly improving uh, every year. But at that point, I'd only, I was only ever doing worse than I had done in the past. And it is so hard to, you know, we talk about don't compare yourself to others. It is also so hard not to compare yourself to yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, I, look, my mental health wasn't great because I just kept performing and it wasn't as good as I used to be and I felt like people um in the athletics community would look at me and say oh she's a has-been like she used to be good but she's never quite made it um and like no one ever said that to me to my face I was just imagining that happening and that really that sort of self-talk gets you down um and it was really something that I had to work through and um, come to terms with the fact that I should be proud of success that I have had and that I need to come back to what are my values. Um, and to me, I, I value um, like friends, I, I value health, I value being outside and in the sunshine and um, doing something that I love. And all of those things are still achieved by doing athletics, even if it's at a, at not, like, even if the numbers aren't great, like I'm still able to achieve those things. Um, so there's, yeah, there was a, a real kind of 
mental shift that I had to go through for a few years and even this year when I decided to stop doing athletics completely I felt like I'd really had a go and I was proud of that and I'd been able to enjoy what I'd done and then I decided that okay I've done that for now and I can uh, continue to do the things that I value like exercise and being outdoors and hanging out with friends but it doesn't have to be through athletics it still feels pretty big actually after 20 years of athletics Um, Mm. but yeah that's that's been a real journey and it's because of exactly what you're talking about with that kind of trying to hold yourself to high expectations (laughs) well I find that really interesting because um I'm trying to sort of like understand um how how it might have been for you because at the start it started with something that was taking your mind off things and then with this transition it it became something that was like too much for you to handle yeah mentally wow wow that's really nice that you that you say that a good way to sort of like go back on track was to focus on your values that's a that's a really good solution I feel like I can relate to that in a different experience so wow thanks for that (laughs) And it makes for such a good chapter. Yeah. 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 So I guess yeah. the next really cool thing we wanted to talk about was the Engineers Australia Award. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. So, Margaret, yes, yeah. tell us a little bit about how did you feel when you were nominated or how was the process of the nomination and, yeah, what was it? How did it feel like to receive um, such an award? The Young Professional Engineer of the Year in South Australia, by the way. She's yeah. Really big. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was oh, it's a huge honor. Um, so my previous team leader, Hugh Hugh Dent, he nominated me earlier this year. Um and I just found out when I got an email from Athletic uh, Athletics Engineers Australia um asking me to fill in a nomination form with like my C V and a photo. Um and I was like what's going on um and I I guessed that Hugh might be involved or might know about it so I sort of confronted him was like what's going on um and he's like yeah I've I've nominated you because I think you're doing some cool stuff I was like that's so sweet (laughs) (laughs) um so yeah I went along to the awards night and I was chatting to other award nominees and I was like oh my god like I don't know how they how they separate the nominations like there's so many different types of engineering and just impressive people doing cool stuff that's not just their job but also beyond that um and so yeah it's uh, definitely I'm really honored to have been named the <laughs> young engineer of the year for South Australia um yeah, and then obviously to be able to go along to the Engineers Australia Awards for the national competition as well and be one of the finalists there and I get to meet the other finalists and Deanna Hood who is oh, such an inspirational girl. Yeah. girl. yeah, she's doing mm. like won the national award for Engineer of the Year and doing awesome stuff in the space for inspiring young women into STEM. So it's just yeah in in some ways I think the best part of it has just been meeting other really inspirational mm. powerful people <laughs> yes <Yeah. laughs> was your um team leader aware of the work that you had been doing for um the report that you've been writing with Karina and the presentation so when did that sort of like started and um let's talk a little bit about it for now because I really want to ask more questions about it but <laughs> I guess it, now that we're transitioning to it like we can bring it yeah so I I think the award was for a couple of reasons um Mm -hmm. like there's the sort of technical engineering side of things where I've been heavily involved in um new research and studies for the emerging hydrogen industry um but uh I think a lot of it was around this gender equality work that you're mentioning um which started or probably a year ago maybe a bit more um when I had a few conversations that made me realize that some of my colleagues who are um yeah like really supportive great colleagues 
um, didn't understand or didn't see my perspective around women in engineering experiencing bias and discrimination and harassment. Um, Whereas, like, yeah, I've had, you know, a really good career, especially compared to a lot of people, but um, that doesn't mean I haven't experienced gender bias. Mm. (laughs) Um, And, like, my colleagues were really surprised by that. Um, So um, that my colleague Karina, who... Mm -hmm wishes she could have joined us here today but is unfortunately busy with work on site um Karina and I were chatting about this and realizing that we had quite a few stories around that gender bias sort of thing um and we decided we wanted to share them with our team um especially because we found that the the disbelief around this gender bias was it wasn't malicious it wasn't that they were gender biased themselves these colleagues but they just were ignorant of it and so like let's start having these conversations um if we talk about it then they might be able to recognize it so we did a presentation just in our team um talking about some of the things we'd experienced and just highlighting some things for our colleagues to think about around um what bias or discrimination might look like if they were to see it in the workplace and then we held a Q&A at the end and had some really valuable conversation where the guys, mostly guys, um, could ask questions that they might otherwise have felt like they couldn't ask because mm-hmm. it can be a bit of a taboo subject. Um, and we, it was a really uh, positive conversation. We had some good questions and they wanted to know more. So... Um, we ended up doing the presentation again a few months later for the whole company, which is uh, I think we had over 100 people call in for the meeting, uh, for the presentation, and again had a really valuable conversation about just, yeah, things that people wanted to know about if they see something gender bias, how to call it out, um, and, yeah, what they could do to help. Um, as well as just like the presentation itself initiating, I guess, reflection for a lot of people just um, about whether they've ever contributed unknowingly to these kind of environments. And, yeah, it sort of had a ripple effect from what I can tell. Um, And certainly my team leader saw this and was really proud and inspired, so that's why he decided to nominate me for the award (laughs) at that point. We hadn't done the industry research. So that part actually wasn't in the engineering award nomination. So the, <laughs> this presentation that we will be talk we will talk about yeah. shortly. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. yeah, that's all come since. Uh, that's incredible. Um in Zohan and I were recording uh one of our episodes, the ones that we talk about, like just certain topics and the ones that we do the two of us together. And we were talking we, we like um talking about it. Um, females that have achieved really amazing things in the STEM field or that have just achieved so much through history. And we were talking about Mary Bury. I hope I'm saying her name right again because it's very difficult. <laughs> and her husband was very supportive of of, of her um, whole, like, discovery of um, radiation or, like, all the discoveries that they did together, right? And when he was nominated this um, Nobel Prize, he was like, hold on let's recognize my, my, like Mary, because she's been helping me. And I guess I bring this up because it's so important to have men that help us and encourage us to sort of like, sorry, that encourage us to sort of like continue working on what we do or to see how, how good the work that we're doing is in this field. It's so good to have the opposite gender supporting us and making us realize that the work that we're doing is making it creating a difference. Um, and I found that, that especially with um, gender and diversity and inclusion, it, it, it says a lot when you have that type of support because it's, it's just amazing. It's really good. I'm really happy that you had a team leader that nominated you and especially saw that um, this type of work as something that he can con- like sort of like help you guys make m- more visible instead of feeling threatened by it. 
Mm. So yeah, that was really definitely. good. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely men need to be in these conversations. Um, and that's not just supporting women, but also like from the research that we did, there's plenty of men who have experienced gender bias or harassment as well. Um, and so, yeah, this isn't just a female problem. <laughs> It is a people everyone problem. problem. Yeah. 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 Wow. So after this recognition um, that you received, what aspects of Margaret have changed? Like how could you describe a little bit of the differences of your behavior and the way you carry yourself or even like in in the profession? Just Um, how people interact with you, I guess. Yeah. Good question. I... Not not that much has changed, really. Um, I guess there's a bit more sort of self-confidence for me and um, having recognition for work like this helps me remind or it helps remind me that it's important. Um, you know, there's for all of the supporters, there's one or two naysayers who are saying, oh, this isn't important and... It doesn't matter that much. You should be spending time on other things. <laughs> and so getting recognition for this is like that helps me forget those people <laughs> or at least just say it, it doesn't matter to those couple of people, but it does matter to a lot of people. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of good motivation to keep going. Mm. Wow. That's pretty sick. Incredible. I guess um, if we can just go back to like the industry research part, how did you a think of you know getting that and that you would get such a response? Were you expecting such a big response like from because I believe you said you'd like done like a questionnaire, right? <laughs> yeah, so it it we never set out to do what we did. Um, yeah. What happened was we did this presentation to our team and then we got an email about this convention an industry convention in September this year but it, this was early early this year we saw it and we're like oh you know we've just done this good presentation maybe we can do something like that at the conference um and so we submitted an abstract which was loosely based on our presentation um just to see how they'd respond because we knew that this convention it was the Australian Pipeline and Gas Association convention we knew that most of their presentations are on technical topics and certainly in the past most of it's about like pipeline integrity or projects or things like that um and we're like what will they do if they see an abstract come across their uh their desk that talks about gender equality (laughs) so we're just like let's see what happens um anyway it got accepted and not just accepted for a small side room slot but as keynote um as, as a keynote speech amazing so after we experienced that shock we were like oh well we better work out what we're going to talk about (laughs) and because our presentations to our team had been so personal uh, we'd used a lot of our own stories we um kind of sat down and had a chat and we're thinking um like we could share our own stories but um this is to the whole industry and we don't want them to dismiss it as just oh two young girls are complaining about things um so we wanted to find out some other stories basically just collect some more so that it wasn't just us we could say here's a few things that we know from people in this industry so we just brainstormed a bunch of questions things that might have happened to people and we made a survey that said basically uh, there were 15 questions but they were asking things like have you ever had someone mis- um, mistake your identity your your gender has anyone ever mis- um, assumed your skill level because of your gender have you ever experienced harassment because of your gender and like a lot of different things and it was if if you have got a story for any of these things can you tell us what happened Karina said to me at the time we sent it out, if we get 20 responses, we'll have done really well. 
we got 130 responses. Holy moly. <laughs> and in that 130 responses, we had over 950 stories about gender bias, discrimination or harassment. Wow. So we, yeah, we were blown away, really. We were not prepared for just the amount of interest um, and also just the depth of these stories. Like some of them were really hard to read. Um, but at the same time, we got support from places that we hadn't really expected. Like the CEO of APGA, Steve Davies, was sharing our survey on his platforms. Um, yeah, we got support from people within our team and from other companies sharing it within their companies. So, um, yeah, we we knew this had become a lot bigger than anything. And that we'd puts a whole planned. different level of responsibility now that you have these stories that are so, like you know, personal and heavy and difficult to read. How do you manage um, presenting that in a way that's, you know, giving them respect, sort of that they need? Yeah, and that was also really something that we had to navigate um we we ended up so we we wrote a report that basically just listed the stories as we'd received them the only edits we made were to remove any identifying information if someone had provided a story where it referenced their company or um, names or anything we edited that out but otherwise we provided the stories as they were sent us and we um, our report was just collecting those stories into themes but what is in that report just comes from the voices of the people who who answered our survey and then yeah when we presented it at the conference it was similar we the the focus of our speech was around those stories and um, getting our audience to understand it as if it was themselves. Um, imagine themselves in the shoes of someone who experienced a number of these things in a row. And some of them are minor and some of them are not minor, but they all kind of add up to one big experience. Yeah. And I think it I really ended in this. standing ovation. Sorry, hadn't it? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> yeah, so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Laura, sorry to cut you off here. <laughs> all good, Sohan, all good. Um, I was just saying that I love the fact that you, through these ex- exercise are like pretty much teaching people how to be a little bit more empathetic and I feel like that is one of the things that we're missing in this industry and probably in today's world like in society um it is uh it's very important that you through this storytelling are helping people to be able to put on other people's shoes and that's what we need to change this issue and to change a lot of societal issues. So yeah. thank you so much to you and Karina <laughs> for doing that. Um, oh. We have the the report available in our in our link, uh, and we also have your presentation because we want everyone to hear it. Everyone needs to listen to you and read through those pages because it's so good. It has all like well the questions that you guys ask in the survey and. It has recommendations for companies of what, well, suggestions to things that they could be doing. So I really encourage people to have a read through um, and and really get to to understand what Karina and uh, Margaret have been doing. Yeah, thank you for sharing it. Um, it's the, that storytelling aspect. I just wanted to talk about that because... Um, I, I had been feeling for a while before this all started a sort of low-level frustration, but I didn't really know what to do with that motivation because people kept talking in terms of statistics and around, you know, we've got X number of women in the workforce and X number of women experience sexual harassment and all this number of, um, but it's so hard for us as individuals to engage with a number like that and it mean anything because 
if we haven't experienced it, then it's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, if one in four experience sexual harassment, three and four don't, and, like, that's all right. But as soon as you start hearing the stories of this is not just a number, like this is what happened to someone that I have spoken to or that is in our industry that we work with, that really hits home. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that kind of actual let's talk about what's happening. Let's not just hide amongst some statistics. Let's say this is this is what's happened to me or this is what's happened to someone else here. It's so true. It's like it's a lot harder yeah. to care about the whole population, but it is a lot easier to care about, you know, okay, oh, so it was Margaret who I talked to last week and that's insane that this should happen to her. Like she's so yeah. lovely, that sort of thing. But from like a men's perspective, you talked mm. about, you know, the men um, experiencing this as well, you know, the discrimination and the bias. Um, do you feel like their ability to voice it or work through it is the same or do they, their other struggles sort of similar? in not being able to you know report it come out with it or yeah that's that's a good question um because initially we sent the survey out to women and then we thought we shouldn't be (laughs) and we started sharing it with everyone um and we did start getting back stories from men as well and the the rates of gender bias and harassment are a lot lower for men but that doesn't mean they're zero and I think that's really important to talk about because you know we need men in this conversation to like even if you're only looking at the female problem when there's so few women in our industry (laughs) we need men's voices to make it be heard but then also let's completely let's let's be open to the idea that men have problems too and you know it's really pertinent on um international men's day today yeah um that we do accept that men experience problems with being able to talk about their emotions like one of the biggest stereotypes that came up in our study was that one around women being emotional but men not being allowed to be emotional let's all just (laughs) i guess stop limiting each other because of our genders yeah it's a matter of like human rights again it's like you are allowed to express your pain. You're allowed to express your opinion. It's all like, yeah. Regardless of what you what you consider yourself to be, yeah. It's like, <laughs> mm. wow. How do you so with um, the work that you have been doing? Um, how have you been able to sort of like engage with people that is still don't see this problem as a problem? Um, how do you talk to them to sort of like show them your point of view but whilst re- respecting their point of view? Mm, yeah, that's – it's a challenge because especially with the amount of work I'm doing, I'm like, it's definitely a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is in there, in our eyes, in our face. <laughs> but at the same time, it's true. Like other people have different perspectives and we need to respect that. So I found that the best the best approach is to just ask questions, um, to be um, – I just – honest about oh that's not how I see it I'm just wondering why you see it differently and I there's there's been both success with that but also uh other people haven't got anywhere with um with a few people it's you know I've I've shown my perspective and talked about the stories that I've received and they've gone oh like I was completely blind to that I didn't know that in fact, I had a chat to a, a woman before my presentation who said, oh, don't talk to me about feminism. Like, I don't see it as a problem. But she came along to our presentation and afterwards she said, oh, after your talk, I heard someone say a really sexist comment and I realised that's what you're talking about. Like, now I see it. And I oh don't know gosh. if it, I just ignored it before, but now wow. I see it's there. And I was like, this is what we're talking about. <laughs> so I just want to clarify for the listeners, to be honest, because um, I guess it's different hearing that, you know, women are oblivious to this as well, but you just say that there's a populace, population of people 
who genuinely think things are exactly the same for men and women, that there is no issue yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Interesting. Well. Or, I, or they think that there's a difference, but that that difference should be there. And I understand. So scientifically, scientifically speaking, I would say, yes, that difference needs to be there. But what we're talking about again goes back to human rights. And that should be horizontal. That should be equal, equal opportunities. Um, but I was going to say there's a few women or there's a few individuals, let's just remove the gender here and talk about people, that having those beliefs or, or being so oblivious, which is the word that we're using, serves them a purpose. It's like self-preservation mode. Like they don't want to address it for a reason. Um so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to unpack yeah. that one, but yeah. I need your help. <laughs> oh, look, definitely. I had a conversation with my mom early on when I started having these conversations at work, sort of talking about how I'd raised it. And she is a female engineer, obviously a previous generation, um, and had to really sort of fight for her space in the industry. Um so, mum, if you're going to listen to this, I don't know, but <laughs> I'm completely calling her out on this one um, where she was kind of saying, like, don't make a big deal about it. Um, like, if someone says something sexist, just call them out at the time and then move on. Like, that's just how it is. But, um, yeah, don't engage. And I was like, oh, yes, but no. <laughs> like, I can talk about things. I can want. I can try and change things, and I want to. Um, and so, yeah, we didn't really see eye to eye on that. I think because she was still in this mode of like, like it was for her. It was self preservation, and at this point, it was her wanting to protect me. Um, but we are lucky or I am lucky to be in an environment where people will listen to me when I speak up about these topics and I mean I recognize that privilege and I want to be able to use that um and I I guess mum has since come around to the idea that I am not just going to lose my job or lose respect or whatever because I'm making a fuss about sexism like now she's fully in support and yeah so for there's definitely different approaches to this because of people's different experiences and and I think what you just said before you touched on a really important subject and is that you won't lose your job now if you make a big deal out of it and I think the fear back on the day and that we have been able to sort of like remove is that we can talk about this without losing our jobs. Because if I was to speak up about my experiences and then I lost my job and in today's society with the prices of food and everything, <laughs> no one wants to lose their job. And having a family and everything is like, no, I'd rather just stick through it or put a blind eye to it and just keep my job. So yeah. it does make sense, but as the saying goes, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, I think it is or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you don't say these things, there's no change happening. No yeah. one is going to be aware of it. If we don't share the stories we are sharing with your report, with your presentation, with this podcast, then no one is going to and the things are going to just continue to be the way they are and probably the change is going to be happening, but slower. Yeah. And I feel like both men and women benefit from this change happening quicker. Mm. We open opportunities for everyone. Um, so definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. And certainly I can I can see change already within our organisation. Like, don't get me, I, I don't want to represent GPA poorly. Like, they've been a really great company. But um, until I started doing these presentations, we didn't have a standalone diversity and inclusion policy. Now we do. Um, more broadly with the industry, they recently approved a grant to do more research into uh, gender equality but um, also the obstacles that are in place for um, people, well, especially women, in terms of joining the industry and then progressing in the industry. So um, 
yeah, there's there's change happening because we're talking about it. Yeah, something interesting on that note. Um, I agree. There's change happening, and especially with like, for example, paternity leave policies. Um, I've the the organization that I <clears throat> that I'm part of um, picked up on the fact that the policies were different for females and for men, and then then just by doing that, we are sort of like promoting a difference. It's not equal, so they are sort of like changing the policies so men and and women have the same amount of time because that is challenging. Sorry, <clears throat> that goes and challenge the who is the caregiver sort of concept that we have that we have always assumed that the caregiver is the mother, but in reality, if we're going to challenge all of this. Is like no, 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 the parents and like the um, fathers can also be the caregiver. So just by creating this type of change through policies and all of this is really important. It is happening. We, we're not saying it's a, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not easy. <laughs> mm. um, sometimes it is really emotionally draining. Um, but, yeah, slow progression. There is change, which is motivating. Do you feel like you've just become the, I mean, not just become, but like do you feel like now that you've done all this work, you and Karina have sort of become like the face of, diversity inclusion and like you know feminism at GPA like is that sort of the perception that you get now <laughs> yeah <laughs> not just at GPA within the whole pipeline and gas industry <laughs> that's amazing good on you mm, mm. but um, take- it's rewarding it's a really yeah. rewarding experience and and you know like you never know like maybe in the future they'll talk about you and Karina and I'm pretty sure they will They'll be like, well, look, they started it. And yeah. and that's a legacy that you and Karina have left, not for you and your children or if whoever, like, you, if you decide to have children. It's for everyone, for all the females and for all the men as well because it's, it's, it's something that you guys have created for individuals. So it's really good. You should be proud of yourself. And I, I'm sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> she did say self-confidence has gotten better. <laughs> yeah, good, good. And I think that is great that um, that was sort of like the the, the outcome after that um, reward because it does, it it is important. <laughs> yeah. One thing before the lag kicks in. <laughs> okay, I'm really curious. <laughs> I was like, should I go? <laughs> So um, from your perspective on all this, like, I suppose, insight that you have now, what would you say uh, you think the solution looks like for women in the industry? Is it an equality in numbers? Like, do we eventually reach that stage where, oh, we're all like the same amount, 50-50, everything's great? Or do you think we'll achieve a balance only when there's equality in how we're treated? I don't know if that makes sense. Great question. Um it, I find this really hard to um, to sort of say there's an answer because um, if we don't have, like if we bring more young women in but we're still treating them with the same gender bias and harassment and discrimination, then we're going to lose them. Like we already see a huge um loss of women around the age of 30 because they start having kids they leave for a year and then just decide not to come back Mm. um and really like you know they get to the point where it's like why would I bother because I keep experiencing this stuff that's just a little bit hard on and I want an easy job while I deal with young children um so yeah, we've we've got to make it a an enticing sort of environment. Um, at the same time as bringing more women in, so it's like it's chicken and egg. Which one do you solve mm. first? I think it's gonna it, it has to be both at the same time. Unfortunately, yeah. Like I say, unfortunately, just because that's hard. <laughs> Not mm. because like I think it would be awesome for that for us to be able to build up the numbers of women in the industry, but also. Um, like at the same time that happens, because there's more women in the industry, there will be more support for women. Um, and I think there'll be less of this like man-dominated culture um, that like, what am I trying to say? 
there's because it's so significantly male dominated it makes it hard not just for women but for men who are more feminine or people who don't identify as male or female so as we bring more diversity in I think it helps with the inclusion side of things Um, and hopefully that then contributes to everyone feeling like they have an equal opportunity they're equally respected um, and you know can have equally satisfying careers um what you said at the end about the cultural um about having such a like a strong uh, male-dominated culture i read the report that engineers australia wrote about um gender and equality i think it was um diversity and inclusion i'm not entirely sure about the title but the late the latest one that they um that they created and one of the so there's they they um highlight different problems for this um i guess disparity in um in um in the gender um oh my god guys lost completely lost anyway <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> anyway they they um they highlight a couple of issues to um the disparity in numbers for females and males in the industry and the main one is the fact that it is a very dominated male culture and that no one feels like they can fit in. So it's really hard. As you said, like if we're going to bring more women into it, um, we have to start changing from above, like from literally the positions that are probably really high up. Yeah. It's, that's one of the most the biggest drivers of the culture in a company at the end of the day. We all make a part of it. but I was, yeah, just when you're talking about leadership and that sort of thing, um, this sort of push for more diversity at the top I think is really valuable. But at the same time, I took a lot of, um, I guess, um, hope from when we did our presentation at the conference. We had a lot of um, senior leaders present at the um, present at our talk and then also following up with us about wanting to continue these conversations um, That's really so good. I think you know you can be the stereotypical old white male but that doesn't need mean you can't be part of these conversations as well and can't be um, an ally and you know that like they might have their own diversity story that for whatever reason mean means they can contribute something as well that is really really true well I think the last question going back to sports um that I have is what's your favorite team memory from when you from your time when you were in sports um I I don't know if it's a team memory but I that my favorite memory from my athletics career is at the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow where it was my last jump of the final I think and for some reason like it just lined up with there being no track events so I was on the long jump runway about to do my last jump and there were no like normally the field events are happening at the same time as the track events and the track events get all of the attention yeah but they they weren't and so I was the only one competing in the stadium at that time and the cameraman like appeared and like my face was on the big screen and I had everyone in the audience was watching me and there's like 40,000 or more people in this stadium and I decided to start a clap. Um, So some athletes do this. I don't always, but in this particular instance, I was like, this is too good of an opportunity to miss. So I started a big slow clap and the people in the stadium started clapping too. Yeah. And you could hear it as more and more people around the stadium joined in. And then um, I was just like, I felt so many goosebumps just so much adrenaline I've never been so high on adrenaline <laughs> wow <laughs> how cool oh, that is incredible. that moment just 
hills. Wow. wow. And then I had to go and jump and I was kind of too buzzed and it actually didn't go that well. But that moment of being buzzed before the jump, that was awesome. Whoa. <laughs> That's crazy. I can't I even imagine there is any footage of that available on YouTube. Uh, maybe. Probably. I've got bits and pieces. To me, it felt like that moment was so long, but the bit of recording that I've seen sort of suggests that it was only a second. <laughs> wow. I Just know. But, you know, a second can make a big difference. Exactly. <laughs> we learned something today. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time and for sharing all these amazing stories about yourself and about um, the work that you've been doing with Karina. Um, it's always good to see you. We yes, have the pleasure to meet you in person and yes. yeah, good to and see will, you again. Thank you both for having me. It's been awesome to talk about this and to support your really great work in talking about these things. Um, yeah, love what you're doing. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Margaret.